Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Ville Church, what's going on? Go ahead, let's get the howling going on real quick. One, two, three. That's for all the people getting coffee that need to come inside. Y'all feeling good this morning? All right, true indeed. Let me pray and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Father God. We thank you for, um, thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, Father. We thank you for the freedom to come together together. as brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, Lord, to be able to um, encourage each other, um, to be able to pray for each other, to just grow in unity by being present together, Father, Lord. But more than anything, Father, Lord, we come to see you lifted up, see Jesus revealed to us more and more, Father. We, um, we have need we have need, and the want that we have is a gift from you, Father Lord. The want that we have to be in your presence, to know more of you, Father Lord, is a, a desire you give us, and we count it as a gift. So I pray, Father Lord, that you continue to nourish that. Pray, Father Lord, that you would inhabit the words of this sermon this morning, um, and uh, that you would bring everybody into forgetfulness of um, the deliver of the message and and focus our hearts on who the message is actually about, Father. So we just praise you. We lift you up. We thank you for our church. We pray for all the churches in the city um, that are having service this morning, Father Lord, and, and that you would be with them, be present with them, that Holy Spirit will continue to woo people and draw them closer to you, um, and that people will make the decision to eternally be in the family of Christ, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Y'all ready to get into it this morning? So, if you're new here and I don't know you, I'm Pastor Jay, um, and we're glad to have you here. You ain't got to say nothing. It's all good. All right. So look at me like I'm crazy. It's all good. So, We've been in the sermon series, New Year, New Gear, right? Y'all been enjoying that? Right? And um, we pretty much, you know, it's been extremely, I don't know what to say. It's just been nourishing for my soul. Like, um, you know, we did the New Year, New Gear thing. It was kind of play off this concept. Like, everybody's like, yo, it's a brand new year. We about to jump into action. And for us, it was like, New Year, New Gear. Like, let's put the car um, in gear and, and actually go into the presence of God. Let's like count that as a very big deal this year, right? Um, and then you saw us, we went through Psalms 84 and Psalms 84 talks about, um, just the presence of God, all the beautiful things that happen there, how provision is there, how, um, there's no better place to be, but in the goodness of the Lord. And we just work through that stuff, right? And so I'm going to go into more about being in the presence of the Lord, but I'm going to kind of do it from a place that, I don't know, it's going to be, it's, it's, it's a place that none of us want to go to, 
It's a place that the, that the Spirit of God will drive you to, but none of us want to go to. Because it's like turmoil, it's, it's calamities, it's hardships, it's all of these things. Like y'all, y'all, y'all remember in the Bible when Paul was like, you know, like, I'm pressed down, I'm distressed, all of this stuff is weighing on me, but I'm still here, right? But like he's living in this place that is, for most of us, is not the American way. It's like that does not sound like comfort. You know, then he runs through his list. He's like, I've been shipwrecked. I've been bit by snakes. And then as soon as he said bit by snakes, I was like, I'm out, homie. I'm out. That's, we don't got to even talk no more. Stop your list, whatever. I'm ending my membership. I don't want no parts of this or whatever. But he's in this place. And we're going to be looking inside of um, our text for today. It's going to be 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul is going to talk about how he's actually content in these places. All this sounds sweet, like just sounds churchy and good, what I'm going to be talking about, but I, I kind of want to, I'm going to talk your ear off for a minute. Um, this week, I had a situation that is of a racial nature where I got offended by something, and it was like one of those offenses where I didn't really get like straight up angry. I just was kind of overwhelmed. Like it messed with me to the point that I couldn't even like really even work on the sermon. Like every, you ever get like kind of hurt to where you just kind of, you stare at the wall kind of mode? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you be like, I'm about to cut somebody. Or sometimes you just be like, I'm just gonna stare at the, I'm just gonna let this paint dry on the wall. Y'all know where I'm coming from? It kind of hit me like that or whatever, right? And then on top of it, you know, we going into MLK you know, the holiday or whatever. And so every article and everything that pops up is just kind of jabbing at the pain a little something, right? And so that's where I've been at. And, and uh, normally when I preach to you, I'm usually in this place where I just, man, you know, I feel all bubbly and like the Lord feels good. And I'm so excited to come share the sermon. But like, honestly, I'm in this place today where like, you're going to see me working through the text and I'm actually trying to find Jesus myself. Y'all get where I'm coming from? I just want to keep it real with you. I don't, I, I can't come and just be like, oh, let's just turn it on and act all happy and everything. Like, my soul is a little bit heavy this morning, but we brothers and sisters in Christ, so we're allowed to be with each other when we're like this. Y'all with me? Okay, amen. So we're going to work through it. Um, so I'm going to read something to you. I hope all, this is going to be the power of God if all this makes sense, because my heart and soul been all over the place. Um, Every year, we usually read the letter from Birmingham Jail. How many of y'all have read that letter before? Like the whole thing? All right, so Martin Luther King's letter, he was sitting in jail um, for protesting, peacefully protesting. Um, But that letter is a response to eight ministers. Did anybody know that? Who knew that? Raise your hand. So it's a response to eight ministers, right? that wrote a letter to him. And so I want to, I'm going to just read you. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a little bit. I'm going to, you know, we're about to have story time a little bit. Make sure your neighbor don't fall asleep, but I'm going to read to you a little bit. So um, the name of, they sent him two letters. They wrote two letters about him. I'm coming to Alabama or whatever, right? And one was called An Appeal for Law and Order and Common Sense. That was one of them. 
And on both of them, the points that I'm going to read to you, these were kind of their main tenets of their letter. Um, and so I just want to read them to you. And so when I read this, what was bothersome for me is that when we look at the racial dynamic that's happening in the country right now, the beef and everything else that we have, um, and it's, you know, the world is the world, whatever you want to do with that. But even from a, a evangelical division we have ripping the church apart right now. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So we're seeing that happen in front of us and it's a very big deal. And so these points, when I read them, I'm like, I hear this all the time today, right? In 2000, you know, in 2020. I know it's not 2020, but like I want it to be so bad. It's just so cold that we're gonna be in 2020. But you know what I'm saying? In 2020 or whatever, I hear this same kind of stuff and this rhetoric all the time. You could actually go all the way back then, knock it out right now and we'd be right on point. So let me read it to you, right? When you read it, you're gonna be like, man, that stuff doesn't sound too bad. So the first one is this, it says the hatred and violence, it says that hatred and violence have no sanction in our religious and political traditions. Sounds cool enough. That there may be disagreement concerning laws and social change without advocating, de without advocating defiance, anarchy, and subversion. That laws may be tested in courts or changed by legislators, legislatures, but not ignored by whims of individuals. That constitutions may be amend, amended or judges impeached by proper action, but our American way of life depends upon obedience to the decisions of courts of competent jurisdiction in the meantime. I wonder who decides who's competent here. But anyway says that no person's freedom is safe unless every person's freedom is equally protected. That freedom of speech must at all costs be preserved and exercised without fear or recrimination or harassment. That every human being is created in the image of God. Y'all heard that one before? Y'all heard that before, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. That every human is created Every human being is created in the image of God and is entitled to respect as a fellow human being with all basic rights, privileges, and responsibilities which belong to humanity. And then they ended it with this final paragraph right here. And he said, we respectfully urge those who strongly oppose desegregation to pursue their convictions in the courts and in the meantime peacefully to abide by the decisions of those same courts. We recognize that our problems cannot be solved in our strength on the basis of human wisdom alone. The situation that confronts us calls for earnest prayer, for clear thought, for understanding love, and or courageous action. Thus, we call on all people of goodwill to join us in seeking divine guidance as we make our appeal for law and order in common sense. Y'all hear all that? So I'm going to create a tension for you because I'm about to read pieces of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail. But that last thing I just read to you does anybody agree that it sounds like 2019? Does, any, does anybody catch that? Does that sound like stuff you've heard? Even yes or no, can we can scream? Don't make me, we're gonna have to howl. Y'all with me? 
it sounds like stuff we're all the time. It's like, hey, we're all made in the we're all made in the image of God, right? We all for that. We need to abide by the law, right? All these things sound so sensible, but now we're about to listen to Martin Luther King's letter, and he's actually pushing towards the against that narrative that Jay just gave. So I'm like, it sounds sensible, but I I just want to work in the tension here of like. Who's crazy here in this whole situation, right? So I'm going to read this to you. I'm, and I'm jumping around through his letters quite a bit, but it's, it's good writing. You'll enjoy it. It says, my dear fellow clergymen, while confined here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all criticisms that crossed my desk, my secretaries would have little time for anything other than such, than for such correspondence in the course of the day, and I would have no time for constructive work. But since, listen to this statement. He's sitting in a jail cell, his house has been blown up, right? Like literally with a bomb. He's been punched in his face when he tries to go vote. He's been spit on repeatedly, right? This, this, like, before I just read this statement to you, I need this so bad. And the reason I need it so bad is because when I get perplexed in my anger and hatred concerning racism, there's like either one side you go to, right? You either fly over here and you're mad backwards or you're over here or whatever, whatever the case may be. But like Martin Luther King somehow in the midst of that kind of calamity, persecution, manages to assume righteousness of his opponents, right? So I want you to catch that. This is a very, very big deal. He says, but since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill, I wouldn't have told him that, and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early, in that in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, church was not merely a thermometer for the, for, for that, um, a th thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven, called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice 
with an uncertain sound. So often is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed, it's prophetic, listen to this, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I, I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Sounds like 2019, right? Perhaps I have once again been too optimistic. Is organized religion too um, extricably bound to the status quo to save our nation and the world? Perhaps I must turn my faith to the inner spiritual church, the church within the church as the true ecclesia and the hope of the world. But again, I'm thankful to God that some noble souls from the ranks of organized religion have broken loose from the paralyzing chains of conformity and joined us as active partners in the struggle for freedom. They have left their secure congregations and walked the streets of Albany, Georgia with us. They have, go they have gone down the highways of the South on torturous rides for freedom. Remember when he says torturous rides, if any of y'all don't know, the freedom riders, they locked them inside of a bus and set the bus on fire and hunted them down through the woods like dogs. So like, I don't want you to dismiss these words as being like. He says, yes, they have gone to jail with us. Some have been dismissed from their churches, have lost support of their bishops and fellow ministers, but they have acted in the faith that right that right defeated is, a strong, is stronger than evil triumph. Their witness has been the spiritual salt that has preserved the true meaning of the gospel in these troubled times. They have carved a tunnel of hope through the dark mountain of disappointment. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. This is the last paragraph I'm gonna read to you out of there. It says, I have tried to stand between these two forces, seeing that we need emulate neither the do-nothingism or the complacent nor the hatred and despair of, the, of black nationalists. This is Martin Luther King, black, a black man, making a statement in the racist South, right? I need us to know this because we have a lot of great, brilliant theologians today that love to attack Martin Luther King, right? But they get completely lost in this thing and fall on the wrong side of this. But here you have is a black man who's getting physically abused, family tortured, and he is actually saying, we don't fall with the black nationalists neither, and we don't fall with, with, with the white American perspective but there's actually a higher calling for us as believers. Are y'all awake? All right. That's a big deal. He says, of the complacent nor the hatred and despair of the black nationalists, for there's more love in nonviolent protests. I'm grateful to God 
Through the influence of the Negro church, the way of nonviolence became an integral part of our struggle. If this philosophy had not emerged by now, many streets of the South would, I am convinced, be flowing with blood. And I am further convinced that if our white brothers dismiss a dismissed as rabble-rousers and outside agitators, those of us who employ nonviolent direct action, and if they refuse to support our nonviolent efforts, millions of Negroes will, out of frustration and despair, seek solace and security in black nationalist ideologies, a development that would inevitably lead to a frightening racial nightmare. That's all. Who, who, who understands how prophetic this letter is? Raise your hand. Please say something. Like this is, he, he hit it on the head. It's exactly where we are at right now in the church, right? Many of the youth, many of African-American youth have an extreme disgust for the church. And what's always waiting out the door is black nationalist ideologies scooping scooping us up by the numbers and you and so Martin Luther King what was said about him y'all bear with me we're going to talk about Jesus I'm, we're going to talk about Jesus don't worry this is in Martin Luther King day we're talking about Jesus but his life points is there so we got so we got to do this first what was, what was said about him is that his work was an effort. The way he looked at it was he was trying to save the soul of America. So back then, he's looking forward and he's trying to save us from where we're actually at right now. He made some headway. But a, but a lot of the hard-hearted people had just conformed into something else. You understand where I'm coming from? So like this isn't this isn't in the past. We still deal with this today. And so this thing where you have a sector of the church going, we're for God. We want to love people really well. Everybody deserves dignity. And we want to honor that dignity because we're all made in, in psh, 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 shut up. All right. It's, that's, not, that's not God's heart. There's this thing where you can actually be saying something that is actually right, but be a million miles from the truth. And that's what I'm going to dig in in the scripture. That's what we're going to go into. Like, we have to figure this out. Like, where do we stand? Because everybody says that thing, and then other people are saying this thing where it's like, no, let's throw a middle finger to them over there or whatever because they're hateful, and then we're just ripping the church apart. So... This is a text I wouldn't think we would land on, but we're going to land on it, right? Because we have a calling, and I believe this calling to declare the gospel for believers, right? If you're a believer, you know that you're called to actually make disciples and proclaim the gospel. Can you put your hands in the air for like you don't care for that real quick? I just want to make sure we're in the same place. The Bible says we're called to actually bear fruit, right? So it means we need to be wise about what that fruit actually is, right? You go with a farmer, you look at the apple, if he sees a worm coming out of that joint, he's going to be like, you might not want to eat that one because he's careful about the fruit that he bears, right? So we've got into this nonchalant American church thing or whatever, and people are able to get comfortable in it 
and, and, and turn their back from the fact that it may be crushing their other Christian brother like royally, effectively, and they could be perpetuating everything that's crushing their neighbor, but be lost in evangelical play church world. Y'all with me? All right, I'm going to stop ranting. We're going to get in the Bible. Let's go. All right. Second Corinthians 12. Start with verse 1. It says, I must go on boasting. This is Paul talking. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to, vi- to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up, in, caught up in paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On, half of the, on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Verse 6 is where we're going to jump into this text. He says, Though if I, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. That's, I'm going I'm to keep going. We're going to come back to that, right? And in verse 7, he says this. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So he actually uses the word in this text, uh, he uses conceited two times, right? Let me give you a working definition on the word conceited. An excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability importance, wit, etc. He says, so to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This is a very big statement right here, right? So what I just said to you earlier is that you can actually have the truth, but you can completely taint the truth. So in verse 6, he says, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. It's the truth. Our minds go, it's the truth, brother. So it must be a good thing. But he says, but I will refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So this is dynamic where Paul is basically saying, God has shown me some amazing things. And if I wanted to walk around with a little strut about it and boast about it, I would be able to do it. So it would be the truth. But it would be a lie because it would actually turn its back on the mercy and grace of God that actually gave me the information in the first place. You get where I'm coming from? This is a, it's, it's important. We're going to connect all the dots. It's super important because our flesh, by nature, our sinful craving is to be worshipped. Right? So a lot of times it's like we're like, God, reveal yourself to me. Right? But we... but. God is, he, being loving, he doesn't lay everything on us. Because, he, so, because this thing can happen 
where you actually see too much of God and get a little too cute, too big for your britches. Y'all understand where I'm coming from? Y'all get where I'm coming from? So that's what Paul is saying. He's like, brother, I, I done seen some things and I know some things and they're true. But I'm very careful to try to turn this glory towards me, right? And so God, in his magnificence, gives Paul a thorn in the flesh. He literally says a messenger from Satan. And a lot of people debate what that might be. They were like, you know, maybe a struggle, it may be a physical condition or whatever. There's so much commentary on it. I'm not gonna stick it to anything, but I'll tell you this right here. Paul has something that breaks him before the Lord that makes him not feel so cute. Any of y'all got something that you deal with? It could be a sin struggle. It could be a physical condition that like, you want to run and you want to be all that, but it's like, I'm broken. And I know I'm broken. Anybody deal with anything like that? I do. I do. I'm sinful enough to want to run fast and build it super, super quick and have everybody be like, God, that's amazing what you built. But it's like, God, he didn't gave me a, he didn't gave me a limp. He didn't gave me a thorn in my side. He done made it where it's like, nah. It's not going to be about you. And it's actually his mercy and grace that does that. You understand? Y'all feel that? And he uses this word conceited. This word conceited. I think that I've read this scripture a million times and I've flown past this so many times, right? It's like you read it, conceited is one of those words like, oh, they kind of got like a little attitude thing or whatever, but it's it's actually at war with the idea of mercy and grace. Conceited is actually a, a, a thing that comes out of the pit of hell, right? If we're going to be honest about it. It's one of those things, like, it's a great word for what we're talking about um, when we're talking about what we saw with Martin Luther King with the clergy. Because there's this thing there where it's like, there's this thing with, there with Martin Luther King is like, he's looking at them and he's like, he's like, my brothers, I think that you actually are well intended. But he's basically saying, but you're trampling over me with this belief that you're capable to understand the matters that we're discussing, right? So for me, it often looks like this right here. For me, it'll look like I'll show up at a conversation with other preachers or whatever of all different type of races, right? And then I'll have somebody who actually has no friends of color at all, and they're actually about to lead the meeting. We, we would normally call, like, like if I show up to, 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 you know, tell LeBron how to play basketball, even though I'm a little nice, I'm a little nice, you know what I'm saying? What? I'm a little nice. I, got, I could do a little something, but you'd be like, yo, Jay, shut up, sit in the corner, right? You either have to go with shut up and sit in the corner, or you have to be like, my brother, yo, you're very arrogant. You're very arrogant. You have to be extremely arrogant. You have to be extremely conceited to step into a conversation and try to lead something you don't know. Either, either that's the case, or you don't care about the people that are sitting around you. Do you get where I'm coming from? 
there's so, like, that, there's like we, have, we have to talk about it like this because it's like, how in the world are these two people from the same camp? Right? From the same camp. And one, in, in, with all of this sweet, beautiful, churchy talk, is perpetuating the pain that another one is actually living in and trying to fight out of. There, there, there's a there's a there's there's an elephant in the middle. It's an elephant in the room, right? There's like we have to deal with that. There's something that is a disconnect. If we're saying we love in the same exact Jesus, and we are somehow perpetuating the pain of the other, what are we dealing with? But Paul hits it right here. One of them is this conceitedness. And I say that because you look at MLK and they're in the midst of the struggle. The other brothers is like, I don't, they don't want the struggle. And so they're playing this middle ground and making everything vague and we'll, we'll go with the courts or whatever because that's the Christian thing to do. And in the middle of it, they're hijacking what good Christianity is also. They're like, we are going to take what good Christianity is, and we're going to define it, and then we're going to devout, denounce all of y'all who are actually in the struggle and feeling oppression and turn our back on you. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? The tenets that they release are very much similar to what John MacArthur just released. I don't know if you know about that. But if you follow John MacArthur, he just wrote a letter to all of the pastors and everybody else who are, are down with social justice movements. And then he said, he goes, this is what it is. And this is what the Bible says it should be. And I want all you pastors to sign it. And, and anybody who's on the wrong side of this are sinful. It's the same thing these guys did. All these years later, we're still doing the exact same thing. And it's a gross, disgusting thing because in the middle of it is a whole bunch of conceitedness and a lack, a lack of love for our brother and sister. That's what it is. We don't have to even get fancy with it. It's conceitedness, it's arrogance, it's pride, and then it's a lack of love for our brother and sister. These are foundational tenets of the faith. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You betray those, you betray everything concerning the gospel, Right? Right. Are we right? So you can't be nonchalant about this at all. Right. And that was what that's what Martin Luther King was saying in that letter. Like, yo, there was a time when the church did not play these games and we weren't tiptoeing and tap dancing to make sure everybody was actually happy with us. We were more concerned with actually pleasing God. And, 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 and it's lost and we're stuck there till this day. We're just like that. Right. I saw one of my brothers, one of my uh, white brothers outside of the um, coffee shop this morning. And we were, in a, we were meeting with somebody last week and we were just talking about, you know, ministry, urban context, all these different things. And he said, um, he said, man, Jay, we got we to gotta do something. He said, yo, when, when my man asked me the question, like, yo, who's all doing the work in the communities and this and that? He's like, yo, I couldn't even list anybody that, you know what I'm saying, I really know like that. And I said, well, yeah, that's how it is. He said, well, yo, we could get all these people together and everything else. I said, sounds really good. I said, here's the problem. Those people you're talking about us getting with, we talk about the same Jesus, but we, we don't, they don't communicate with me. They don't talk to me, right? So I tell them that. And I said, here's the thing. 
I said, let me give you an example. You may bring the mayor over here and be like, hey, we, you know, our church, we're with the mayor. Well, people in my church may, may be like, homie, we don't rock with the mayor and have really serious reasons for why they feel that way, right? He doesn't care. Like, I'm not saying this about him right now, but it could be he doesn't care about our context, right? The Martin Luther King breakfast on, on, on the other day, it's split in two because it's like we don't care, see, we don't care about the NAACP. So now the breakfast is split in two. This one breakfast where we get unity together in the city is now split apart. I know I'm ranting on y'all this morning, but I, can't, I just have to give it to you how I feel. Like, like, and so I won't go because I just don't feel like playing the games, right? And it's not because I'm on one side or the other. There's actually, God has called us to this thing that is above this. And it doesn't look quiet and just whatever, like it doesn't care. It's ferocious. Do, do y'all get where I'm coming from? Let me keep going for I'll bust a, uh, a fuse up in here. All right. Y'all with me? All right. Let me keep going. Got to turn Malcolm X on y'all up in here real quick. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Let me jump back in. Verse 9. Sorry, I'm going to go verse 7. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So we see that God is actually Satan who wants to crush Paul. He wants to crush him, but God is playing him to produce his glory out of Paul. This is important for us because some of us carry some things that are just heavy for us, and they feel like we can't live with them, and it brings us to our knees and makes us feel like God. It just puts us in this place where we're like, God, I can't go forward unless you show up. And we think that's a horrible place to be, but it's actually a sweet spot because it's bringing us close to God. You get where I'm coming from? Some of your battles that even may be sin battles, because you have the Spirit of God in you and they keep convicting you and breaking your heart, they keep bringing you back to the feet of the Lord. You get where I'm coming from? And, and, and God keeps bathing you with grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is the litmus test for what is actually right. Let me make this statement for you real quick. When we talk about this weird thing that's happening with evangelicals and the church and everything today, if you want to figure out what is truth in the middle of it, follow the breadcrumbs to, to, to mercy and grace. You understand where I'm coming from? Follow the breadcrumbs to mercy and grace. Because here's the thing. When you observe the calling of the people of God, and when we look at Jesus Christ, who comes as a savior to the wretched, filthy, and the guilty, conversations like, well, they're foolish. They did it to themselves. They don't stand up anymore. 
You can't say you're like Jesus and, 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 and roll with that one. Y'all with me? It's what we hear from a lot of evangelicals today, and then we slap the Christian sticker on it. That's not Christian. That's not Jesus Christ. That's not the one who we actually follow. So we've been writing this, and this is what Martin Luther King was saying. He's like, I'm trying to save the soul of America, because if you keep going this way, the things that y'all are going to break. He says, I'm trying to, he goes, y'all are telling me to wait, and my moves are untimely, but I'm watching my daughter's heart fill up with hatred towards white people. And he doesn't feel like that's a good thing. He's broken by it because it's not Jesus. Because it's not Jesus. He, he, the black nationalist would be like, foster that hate. We can use it. He's like, nah, it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. So I said that to my white brothers and sisters too. You have to know what's not Jesus. Oh, you did it to yourself. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. Let me show it to you. Let me show it to you. It's not Jesus because it's conceited and it's self-sufficient. But in verse 9, he says this. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Right? We love putting stuff like this on Hallmark cards. I got a Hallmark needs to give me a, um, a royalty check or something. I always talk about it. He says, my grace is sufficient, right? He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. He says, Paul, I know you, I know you got that thorn in your side, and I know it feels like it's torturing you, but my grace is actually sufficient. And the reason it's sufficient is because God is actually writing his own story, not ours. This is where our conceitedness starts having a tug of war, because we like, Yo, God, I want to kill it this way. I want to do it like this way. God, I want it to move fast and be like this right here. How many people know that God don't really be caring about your plans like that? He don't really be caring. He's like, he's doing his own thing, right? He's doing his own thing. He's actually using you to actually bring forth his glory or whatever. And you can make him drag you. You could fall all the way in, right? So he tells Paul, he's like, yo, you may hate that, but it's by design. I'm making a masterpiece with your life. And that thorn is a part of it. You get where I'm coming from? That thorn is a part of it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if you're trying to go to prom. Who went to prom up in here? My prom was whack. Anyway, I went to prom. But you know, when it comes to prom time, it's like you're trying to you want to get that car. You want to roll up on everybody real mean. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you had like some bullies in school or whatever. You're like, yo, pops, let me get the Mustang. Let me get the, you know, I'm thinking back in ice, vanilla ice days. So I'm like, let's get the 5.0. You know what I'm saying? Stop. Collaborate. You know, I'm trying to roll up on them. You get where I'm coming from? I'm trying to do this thing or whatever. I want the 5.0. But it's like your parents are like, nah, we ain't going to do that. I got the to sell outside. It's gassed up. The oil just got changed. I got the covers on the seats. Y'all laughing, but that was my first car for real. 
But it's like, I got the Tercel outside, and it's ready to ride. And you like, that's cool. That's, I'm glad, I'm glad. I need that 5.0 though. <laughs> because you got a way you ready to do this thing, but they're like, no, the Tercel is sufficient. That's what they're saying. You get where I'm coming from? So that's this thing right here. This is, we read this stuff, but we assume that we're so good in the middle of it. So we're like, mm, my gift's so beautiful. His grace is sufficient. Man, you got to be broken down to understand this thing right here. You got to be broke, busted, and disgusted to actually appreciate this thing right here. It says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then listen to this right here. In verse 10, he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is what I was talking about when I was telling you. When you go in the presence of God, there's some places the presence of God will take you that you won't want no parts of. You won't want no parts of it, right? Content? For the sake of Christ? You got to be on Christ's time to be thinking about for the sake of Christ, right? If you are actually using for the sake of Christ as your filter, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But everybody uses that, right? Everybody uses that and plays that game. Because you have to be, you have to be like this right here on God's word and on his heart to understand when he says, for the sake of Christ, right? There's sometimes my kids do stuff, and when I look at them and say, yo, what'd you do that for? You know we don't do that. Because what I mean is, you are close to me, you know exactly what my heart is, and you know I would never want you to treat your sister or your brother like that. You understand where I'm coming from? I said, yo, we don't do that. When he says, for thy sake, he's saying like, we know the Lord, like we actually, he, he's close to us, we're actually in his presence. This is an in his presence statement, right? It's an in his presence for, for, you know, for the sake of the Lord. I am content because my will, what I want to do, Lord, is please you. But not only that, because that puts the righteousness on us. It's saying, I trust you, right? I trust you. So he says, for I am content with weaknesses. This is not the American way. It's not the American way. Who likes to appear weak? I don't. I don't. I don't. Weakness is a, is a condition or state of lacking strength. It means you're at a disadvantage or you have a fault. Nobody wants to be weak. But here Paul is saying, I'm actually content for the sake of Christ that actually, he's made peace with that space. He's like, Lord, you don't actually have to drag me in it. I'm, I, whether I base or whether I bound, I know that you're actually with me. Like the presence of God is here wherever I'm at. It doesn't have to look cute. Like there is literally people, right? You don't know what I'm talking about when I say this because it's a cultural thing where we start walking around and defining things that we think are beautiful and then we go, oh, it's in the spirit of excellence. It's in the spirit of excellence. And we actually attribute this godliness to this thing 
but we're like walking around magic wanting what's actually excellent. Because we don't want any parts of weakness. It doesn't mean God's present because it's easy. It doesn't mean God's present because it's pretty. It doesn't mean God is present because it's comfortable. God knows how, look, anybody who labors and hard for the Lord or has, you know, whatever they do, whatever, people, listen, God knows how to party. When it's party time, it's party time. When it's rest time, it's rest time. And he does an amazing job at like, man, oh, me and my wife fell into this, you know, Airbnb, somebody bought it. He does amazing things like that. But that is not God. That is not my filter. The filter doesn't start at me defining context. It starts at for the sake, right? For his sake. And for, that means that he's actually the author and finisher of our faith. So he gets to write it however he wants to. And, I'm, and, and, I'm, and, and I believe that he's with me wherever he takes me. Are y'all with me? Are y'all tracking with me? This is important because this is, this is where we left the train tracks at. This is what he's saying in that letter from Birmingham jail. He's talking about how we left our first love. And we got into some other weird stuff, right? Talks about weakness. Talks about an insult right? Being abused by people's remarks, because that will happen. It will happen. When you don't dance for everybody and do what they want to, and you're not their cup of tea no more, they're going to lay it to you. Hardship, severe suffering, right? Nobody wants any of that. But sometimes it's part of the story. It's the way God gets his glory. But if this is for the sake of Christ, then so be it. And if it's not the way we're going to move, then we're going to actually say that we're for Christ, but actually start rewriting another story, which is what we've seen happen. And persecution, of course, will come and calamities will come. He ends that verse 10, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He's exchanged self-confidence for Jesus' confidence. It's not a sucker. He says, for when I am weak, I am strong. His weakness is actually allowing him to, to, to stand in the middle of the storm. With, with insults, hardships, persecution, calamities, and he is knowing Jesus like never before. He is braving the storm because he's confident in Christ Jesus. Y'all seen Forrest Gump? You remember Captain Dan when he was on the front of the ship, whatever, with no legs and they were in the storm? And he was just like, ah, oh, yeah. Like he was just chilling, there was lightning all around him. Sorry, that's my favorite part. Anyway. Let me read something to you now, then I'll start to close this up. And I appreciate y'all letting me act a little crazy today. It's Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's that for Christ's sake. The founder and perfecter of our faith. That's us in his story. He is the perfecter of our faith. And he uses hardships, he uses calamities, but he's actually good in the midst of all of it. So you can trust him even in it when it don't look cute. Y'all with me? And he says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He's pointing us to look towards eternity in that scripture. The promises of eternity to be spent with him. I tell you all this all the time because it's so important. You got to walk around with it every day. There's, when you're in the middle of these sufferings and everything else, it's not about singing kumbaya and I'm just good or whatever and, and I can deal with suffering or trying to flex your muscles. It's the fact that in the midst of this, it actually pushes you, it squeezes on you, it puts pressure on you, and it oozes out this hope that looks towards eternity, right? Like, like sometimes, it, some of y'all may do this. You ever be like, serving somebody, right? You'd be like, sure, I'll help you with that. And then after a while, you'd be like, oh, junk, I ain't know it was this much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they'd be like, after this, we just got hit like two more apartments or whatever. I got a bit, my grandma's antique stove is in there. We on the fourth floor, it ain't that bad. And you just like, and you like, you know, you was like, I'm gonna stop by the 7-Eleven, get a big gold, and just, you wanna send them to the bathroom and just dip on them. You know what I'm saying? You'd be like, Dag, this would be so wrong, whatever. You're trying to think of lies and all that. I don't even know where I was going because I started with the, the big gulf or whatever. But what I'm saying is, is that it presses out. Okay, that's what I know I'm saying. When you're serving in that capacity, there's times when, like, the reason I'm able to keep going is that I'm thinking, like, God is going to redeem all of this and I'm going to get all of it back. Not that I'm buying favor with him, but that like God is going to redeem all of this. And it makes me keep moving forward. It gives me like real actual power in the moment. Y'all get where I'm coming from? We're not suckers. We're not losing time serving and washing feet. We're not losing time. Everything. We're we, we going to get everything. You get where I'm coming from? That eternal perspective means everything. So he says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I guess, church, just to bring this to a head is that... Um, Man, I, you know, sometimes I feel foolish for how grieved I get in some of these conversations, right? And, 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 and when I see the division that's happening in the church, and it seems like just a conversation for people. Um, because I don't, I, I feel like, man, I don't, know if people really understand what we're losing in the middle of this playing these games, right? Playing these fake church games sometimes. Like, there is something of tremendous value being lost. And, and the reason, like, I love looking back at Martin Luther King's writings because he's dead in the middle of that story like that. He's not playing sides. 
he is playing like Jesus' side, and he is like, do you realize what is going to happen as a result of this? Do you realize what our nation is going to suffer? He says, I do this so white boys and girls and black boys and girls can play together, right? He's like, I'm not fighting for the home team. He's like, we are Christ, God's home team. So he's in the middle of it, taking blows from each side because he's fighting for something higher. And so, church, that's all I want to encourage you with this morning is to fight for something higher, to look in between the lines and all the Christian and all the evangelical and all the whatever, the black nationalists or whatever you want to call it, all these games that everybody's playing and find Jesus Christ lifted up holy savior uh, savior of the wretched and most disgusting broken people and then follow in his footsteps with grace and mercy i'm not gonna lie to you when i read martin luther king's response even though i've read it a million times i swear to you it brought me to tears because while i struggle with my anger and feeling so disrespected sometimes in some of these conversations i just was like whoa this dude starts off with my dear fellow clergymen. Like the Bible says, it says not to assume evil of your brothers and sisters. Even though they're perpetuating evil, he's not assuming evil of them. That is grace and mercy in a way that I can't even comprehend. And all he's, what he's doing is modeling Christ Jesus for us. And we can't let that be lost neither. Not on no holiday at all. We can't forget that one of the travesties around Martin Luther King is that people take away the fact that he was a reverend, right? They take away the gospel that he actually preached and don't bring it to light. It's what gave him the fire between his, you know what I'm saying, behind his back or whatever. It's what kept him moving and grooving. So it's important for us to remember that. I'm going to read one more scripture to you. And I'm going to release y'all from the angry black man. <laughs> All right. This is Luke 9. He says, uh, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I sign off with that because it is a tremendous reminder that there is not a, a, a vague middle ground for us to dance around in and play with. God is calling us to pick up his cross, uh, pick up our cross and follow him. Right? Everybody needs to let the tension of that land on them. Not in a way we're like, we're not talking about your works are going to save you. You are only saved by grace and mercy. But do not start coloring this weird Jesus out. Do not start rewriting it according to your fears and according to your comfort and everything else. There is hardship. There are calamities that will come. There will be joy, and you'll find that joy as you lean deeper in Jesus Christ. But you do not get to 
you know what I'm saying, bed, bath, and beyond Jesus and stuff. I have no idea what that phrase means, but it just felt like it went, all right? Story is always just set up really great, but you're not going to be able to make it work like that, all right? So I just want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ for real. Let's pray really quick. Y'all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you. God, we, God, I pray, Father, that, um, I pray, Father, Lord, for you to continue to do a work in our hearts. Um, God, we don't want to play church. Um, it's not because we're above playing church. But Father, we really, we need you really, really bad. And even the stuff we're talking about today, it's not because we're so virtuous in it. I'm not preaching it because I'm on the right side of it. I'm preaching it because God, I have to find you in my own anguish, my own pain, my own offenses, my own hurt, my own racism, my own elitism, my own classism, um, all of that stuff. God, I want the 5.0. But sometimes you like, no, we're doing the Tercel ministry this time. And God, I want to be able to rest in trusting you with your plan. I want to walk a for the sake of Christ type um, walk. I pray that for our church, Father. I want our people to be able to be led by you in and brave the anguish that sometimes comes in this walk, but know that you have us, that you're with us. Um, and that hardships aren't a bad thing. Hardships are sometimes a yellow brick road to your heart. Often it actually is. Um, Father, we just save us from the mess, from the games. Help us love people how you love. Give us clarity. Um, let our hearts be pricked and injured when things just are off. Let us be re repentant, Father Lord, able to go, hey, yeah, I didn't do that right. Or I didn't say that the right way. Or I didn't love you well. Um, and, and let us also respond with mercy and grace for people like that. Not like, oh, I tried to tell you you wasn't right, but let us have arms wide open um, and that we can participate in the work that you're doing in the lives of people. Father, we just praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, as we take communion and just remember how your son Jesus, how his body was broken for us, Father, Lord, how his blood was shed. How he gave his life and then took it back up three days later, Father Lord. He defeated death on our part. So death has no power over us. How he took on my filthy, low-down resume of sin. In exchange for that, gave us his perfect resume, righteous and holy. Um, I pray that that would be dear to our hearts. I pray that anybody who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, Lord, today, that when we, when people come up to pray during communion, that they 
will be see past shame, past worrying about what other people think, and that they would make their way up to come pray with somebody, even if they just have questions. Father, we invite them to come pray with us, Lord. So we just praise you. We thank you for our church. Um, we thank you that we're even halfway, Lord, we're a lot of way weird, um, but it's all good. We thank you for what you're doing. And uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.